Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 727 with Michael Bungay-Stanier. He is back because he is awesome. And this time we are talking about goal setting and goal achieving. And we're not just talking smart goals, which although I love, and that's kind of how I got my start doing a keynote about smart goals. We're talking about a different flavor that has a lot more juice. It kind of grabs you in the guts and the innards in terms of that motivation, that deep desire to make it happen. So you'll learn one, the secret to crafting more motivating goals. Two, why we often falter and how to strengthen your resolve. And three, the four types of people you're going to want on your journey. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or links to albums we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP727. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, check out some of our really cool stuff, like the Gold Nuggets emails, summarizing the wisdom, and a whole lot more. Here's Michael's story. Michael Bungay Stanier, or MBS, as he's called, is the author of six books, which have sold over a million copies between them or among them. He's best known for The Coaching Habit, the best-selling coaching book of the century that's already recognized as a classic. His new book, How to Begin, helps people be more ambitious for themselves and for the world. Michael was a Rhodes Scholar and plays the ukulele badly. He's Australian and lives in Toronto, Canada. You can learn more about him at www.mbs.works. Big thanks to Michael for sharing his wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Michael. Michael, welcome back to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. I'm so happy to be back. Thanks, Pete. Well, I'm excited to dig into your latest upcoming work. Yes. How to begin. Mm -hmm. Tell me, what's something interesting you've begun lately? Oh, that's a very fine question. Well, I have begun, I haven't exactly begun, but I've begun to finally get better at ukulele. (laughs) So. I have a ukulele and I've spent 10 years being absolutely and consistently mediocre at it. And I pick it up every now and then and I play it and I'm exactly the same as I always am. And then in the last three months or so, my wife has got interested in ukulele and I've actually been practicing the next step up. And that's hard because you suck more (laughs) before Mm. you get better. But I feel like I've come through the suck stage and I'm actually getting slightly better at ukulele. So that's what I'm celebrating now anyway. Oh, that's cool. Well, I wish you much luck and thank you. Hope to hear some ditties in the future. (laughs) No, you don't want to go there. In in due time. In due time, yeah. (laughs) Call me in 20 years time when I'm back on the podcast, then we can maybe have a conversation. Oh, looking forward to it. 
Well, let's talk about your your book here, How to Begin. Mm. When when I think of Michael Bungay Stanier or MBS or just simply Michael, I think coaching, coaching, coaching. Yeah. I'd like, don't give advice. What's the coaching habit? Be a little bit more coach-like. Be curious a little longer. This And so, so How to Begin, this feels... Like there's an overlap there, yeah. but it has a whole lot more, I don't know, as I look through it, a little bit more like juice in terms of inspiration, like a yeah. Don Quixote music <laughs> is, is playing in my ear. What's what's the story That's here? That's cool. I like the Don Quixote uh, shout out. Look, one of the questions that's at the heart of the coaching habit and the advice trap is, so what's the real challenge here for you? And it just has as an insight that often if we don't interrogate the problem, we end up trying to solve the wrong problem. And this book is similar but different because it's fundamentally asking a question, what's the real goal here for you? What's a worthy goal? What's something that is worth doing, worth your time, worth your life, worth your focus, worth your resources, worth your energy? Where are you going to spend your time? Mm -hmm. So 12 years ago or so, I wrote a book called Do More Great Work. And it said, look, Everything you do is falls into one of three different buckets, either bad work, good work, or great work. Bad work, mind-numbing, soul-sucking, life-crushing work. Most people have some idea of what I'm talking about. Good work is like your job description, even if you don't have a job, but it's like being productive, efficient, what your boss wants, what your bosses wants. But great work is the work that has more impact and the work that has more meaning. It's the stuff that lights you up, and it's the stuff that makes a difference. And this book, How to Begin, is a kind of deeper dive into that idea to say, look, most of what we hear about, about goal setting, particularly in the work context, is actually a bit underwhelming. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is, the, this is what's cascaded down from the bosses. Here's how you do a smart goal. And I'm like, I don't want a smart goal. I want a worthy goal. I want something that's thrilling and important and daunting, that'll grow me, that will make a difference, that will light me up. And that's what this book is getting into. Mm-hmm. Well, thrilling, important, daunting. We're going to dig into these uh, components. Yeah. I'd maybe first love to hear an inspiring story of how this approach uh, really made an impact for somebody. Yeah, you know, there's been a, a community of people working at mbs.works using this kind of process to make traction on, on work. And what's been great about it is the diversity of the different worthy goals that people have taken on, everything from writing a book to launching a training program in their organization. But, you know, one of the ones that I think is most moving is Michelle, who I've known for a number of years, she lost her son to homelessness and a drug overdose hmm. some 20 years ago. And it's meant that every year when the anniversary of his, well, both two, twice, birth and his death have rolled around, it's been a hard time for her. And she sat with that and sat with just the weight of being a mother who's had that happen to a, a child. And coming up with this idea of how to begin and the worthy goal process, Michelle has actually started a nonprofit to raise money to begin to create a shelter for other people who are struggling with homelessness, like her son Michael was. And she just she wrote to me on the anniversary of his death this year, just going, This is the first time in 20 years that I felt I can be celebratory about this moment rather than carry some sadness and maybe some shame with it. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty cool story to hear for me. It is, yes. Yeah. Yes, that's that's beautiful. Well, so tell us then, we've got a three-step process, setting a worthy goal, yeah. committing, and crossing the threshold. Can you give us just uh, the quick overview of 
What do you mean by these things and, and what do we get wrong? You said smart goals are not as exciting. Sure. Well, you know, smart goals, when you think about it, it's like, it's not actually about the goal itself. It's about, have you got it right so we can measure it and we can mm. track it and yeah. it, you can do it. And you're like, but what if it's the wrong goal? I just think that we don't spend enough time testing and interrogating and really making sure, is this the thing you want to commit to? Mm-hmm. Because no matter what your context is, it's like, you're going to give sweat, blood, tears, <laughs> money, time to this. Make sure it's a good goal. Yeah. So the first section of the book, is uh, three steps to kind of figure out how do you draft and redraft and redraft a worthy goal so you get to a point where you can be pretty certain that this is worth it. Mm -hmm. The second step is where you actually pause for a moment and you actually weigh up, look, you got a good goal, but are you really up to committing to this? Because there's a price to be paid for commitment. You're going to say yes to something and it means you have to say no to some other things. And you're not always clear what you're actually committing to and what you're actually walking away from. So this is for all of us who've had those moments where we're like, I started a goal, I thought it was pretty good, but then it all got too complicated. And for some reason, I just ran out of gas. This allows you to examine that a little more closely to make sure that you're really clear about the choice that you're making. Mm-hmm. And then if you've made that choice and you're like, you know what, this feels right. I know the prizes and punishments of starting this worthy goal. The third step is to get you going. And there's no promise to get you to the end point because a worthy goal is tricky and there's no guaranteed outcome. But it's like, how do you get across the threshold? How do you get moving? Because certainly I've had moments where I've set a worthy goal and then been paralyzed, <laughs> unable to act around it. I'm like, okay, Years ago, I read um, a book by David Allen, who is kind Mm -hmm. of one of the original productivity guys. He wrote a book called Getting Things Done. And one of his insights has stuck with me still. It's like, you can't do a project. You can only do the next step. And too often we get paralyzed by the the weight and the size of a project. And I'm kind of building on some of his work to say, how do you figure out what the small steps are? How do you figure out the support you need? Who do you travel with? How do you figure out how to make progress in a safe way so you don't blow yourself up along the way? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to dig into each of these bits. So let's talk about identifying if a goal is worthy. Yeah. So you say it's thrilling, it's important, it's daunting. How do we arrive at, <laughs> at, at such a thing? And, and I guess if, if a goal is not one of these three things... Does that make it unworthy? I guess it's sort of like, well, my boss asked me to do this. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Well, you've got reality to contend with. Yeah. So for all of us in within work, we're, we're working within the context of, look, some of our goals are going to come down and be handed to us. Mm-hmm. And I still want you to be an active participant in actually how you think about this goal. So once you get that goal, once you have that starting point, the question is to say, can I make this thrilling and important and daunting? Mm-hmm. And how do I make it as thrilling and as important and as daunting as I can? Because I know if I can do thrilling, and thrilling is all about, does this light me up? Do I care about it? Do I get some internal motivation around this goal? Is it mm-hmm. important? Meaning, does this actually contribute to the bigger game? Does it serve the bigger play? Does it give more to the world than it takes? And then daunting is to go, well, where's the, where's the learning edge around this? How will I grow? How will I expand as I do this. Mm-hmm. And look, it's true that some of the stuff we do at work for sure isn't going to tick those boxes. But you know, I want you to see if you can find that goal that will give you the most of that as best you can. So once you get a goal, and this might be something that you've come up with yourself or that you've done it in collaboration with your boss, or maybe it's just been handed to you by your boss. 
you then can go, well, how do I, how do I turn up the volume against thrilling and important and daunting? And I think you can start by holding it up against three different tests. So test number one is the spouse-ish test. So imagine this, Pete, you go back to your, your partner, your spouse, or a person who just knows you, you know, who gets mm-hmm. you. It doesn't have to be your actual spouse because, you know, some of us don't have spouses and some of us don't want to think of our spouse as our, our key person. But go to a person who really knows you, who gets you, and you go, this goal, what do you reckon? You're going to get a reaction from them because they know you. They're either going to go, look, mm-hmm. Pete, awesome. <laughs> yes, that is a fantastic, that is perfect for you. You're gonna, that's going to light you up. Amazing. Or they're going to say, no. That's a terrible decision. Don't do that. that. That's an awful goal for you. You definitely don't want to do that. Or maybe there's a middle ground and they'll go, look, Pete, you've been talking about this for months now or years, quite frankly. Stop <laughs> yapping about it and get on with it. Sure, it's the right thing, but I'm a bit tired of hearing it. But what you're getting is some triangulation from somebody who knows you around. Is this a goal that's actually thrilling for you? And the power of thrilling is it's a counteract against obligation. Because you're just testing this on, do do I care about this? Does this light me up? Mm -hmm. Then the second test is to hold it up against the FOSO test. So FOSO stands for for the sake of. And this is where you go, how does this goal, this worthy goal, this project, how does it contribute to the bigger game? For the sake of what am I taking this on? And this allows you to make a connection to the strategy or the business outcome or some other outcome that you care about. Mm-hmm. And then the daunting one is basically you weighing up and going, look, I call it the Goldilocks zone test. The Goldilocks zone is that that place in space where a planet is in the right relationship to the sun so that water is liquid. It's not too hot, doesn't burn mm-hmm. off, it's not too cold and the water freezes. So now you're asking, does this goal have the right heft? It's not too big that it's just impossible. It's not too small that it's just tactical, but it's actually the right type of goal that will actually go, you know what? I know how to start this. I don't totally know how to finish this. This feels like it's going to be an adventure. So Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the ways you can start interrogating your goal to go, does it have these three attributes? That's fun. Now, I like what you had to say about turning up the volume. Mm. And I guess I'm thinking right now about... I'm thinking about how how do I make something more thrilling? Because I've definitely encountered some things where it's like, okay, yeah, that could impact a lot of people, mm-hmm. make a lot of money, uh, challenge me to learn and grow, but I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do I do with that? Probably was like, is there something wrong with me? Like, I like impact. Right. I like income. I like learning. And yet I don't really care. What, what's going on? Well, you've got a couple of choices. One is to go, look, if it's not thrilling, it's hard to sustain this worthy goal in the, as you get going on it. Mm-hmm. Because after a while, you're like, I'm just running out of puff here. <laughs> I'm running other things that I'd rather do instead yeah. of this because it just doesn't light me up. But another way of putting it is to go, look, the fact that this worthy goal has impact, it makes money for me, it drives my business forward, it propels me in a way that I want, that's interesting. The fact that it's daunting, like this will be hard, this will stretch me and grow me, well, that's interesting. So then the question I'd ask is, well, what needs to be true for this to be thrilling or at least more thrilling for you? And what that does is it takes you to a place where you're like, okay, imagine that this would be thrilling. Is there anything there? Can you get there? And it might ask you to kind of rethink and redraft what this worthy goal is so that you can actually go, you know what? This this would be interesting for me. I mean, a parallel, Peter, is like, 
I was thinking around, how do I start a new podcast? And I'm like, you know what? I can see how I can frame my podcast to be important. And I can also see how I can frame a podcast to be daunting. I want to set some goals for myself around a podcast that would really challenge me and push me because I've done podcasts before. So I need the challenge around that. But then I was like, how do I make it thrilling? Because I've done five podcasts where I've done basically a straight interview process. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That is not thrilling for me anymore. Even if I get interesting people on, I'm like, I can feel myself going through the motions. So with the podcast I have at the moment, two pages with MBS, I'm like, you know what? They're going to read two pages of a book and I don't know what the two pages are. And it means that I have to be really present to hear what they read and then react in the moment to what's being read. And suddenly that makes a podcast thrilling for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, I have to be on my toes. I have to be smart. I have to bring forward what I know so I can be in a good conversation with this person. And that twist on it was what upped the ante around the thrilling for me. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Well, I guess what I'm thinking right now about some, uh, maybe it's <laughs> like procrastination-y things mm. in terms of like, oh, I should probably, you know, call my accountant and get some things figured out associated with with taxes. And, and in a way, I mean, like it's, it, it could result in a, a lot of tax savings, which is, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's cool. Hey, money, great. Yeah, important, yeah. And I just feel as a yeah, husband, father, provider, like that's sort of like a important and like responsible thing. And, and this isn't really my, my zone of strength in terms of like compliancy, accounting stuff. So there's some dauntingness there. Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> but so, yeah, if, if I, if I want to get some thrill, but I'm having a hard time finding it, yeah, what do you recommend? Cause it's it just not doing it. Isn't as much an option here. Like, <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I'm not sure I would call that a worthy goal. I would call that a tactic that needs to be done as part of this. Yeah, it's an obligation. It's sure. an obligation. Yeah, so I'd be going, I mean, you can play around with this, and I'm just making stuff up at this stage, Pete, but I'd be going, all right, so part of what your worthy goal might be, might be to go, how do I build an extraordinary business that keeps me out of the minutiae that sucks my soul. Mm -hmm. Because that's how I feel about it. With some of this kind of the operational side of running a business, I'm like, I just, I know I should send this thing through to my account, but honestly, I'll find anything to avoid that for some reason <laughs> or not. So I totally empathize with what you're saying. Now, if you're like, how do I double the size of my business without being sucked into the minutiae? Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's a possibility that it starts opening the door towards thrilling and important and daunting. And then you go, well, what needs to be true around that? Well, you're like, okay, I've got to build some systems or I've got to find an online business manager. Or I've got to find a solution to say, you're now following up with the accountant around mm -hmm. this sort of stuff. You're now doing this work for me. Yeah. I mean, I'm just making it up, but that's one thing that comes to mind for me, Pete. You're right. That, that does start to get more thrilling in terms of it's like, okay, so this year, sure. We're going to have to make it happen. But yeah. if I approach it in a way in terms of what if I sort of like document and make this the prototype for or template pattern for yeah. this is the last time I ever have to do this again because it will be systematized and outsourced <laughs> and automated so that I don't even need to think right. about sending a check to anybody, the United States Treasury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just happens. Or anybody. You're like, you know what? And I, I get you on this because next year I'm thinking of trying to write not just one book, but maybe two or even three books in a year. 
And that's really hard. I mean, it's got that thrilling, important and daunting for me. And I'm asking myself the question, what needs to be true for me to be able to write three books in a year, which feels impossible at the moment. And one of them is like, I spend zero time talking to an accountant Mm -hmm. and trying to write checks and trying to figure out chasing down invoices or whatever it might be. I'm like, okay, well, what, if that's what needs to be true, how do I solve for that? Yeah. And things start happening. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, so there we go. So we're, we're choosing a goal and then it has those three components. It's thrilling. It's important. It's daunting. It's worthy. And then there's some juice to it. Yeah. Let's talk about the committing stage. Right. So this is where we often get stuck. We're like, I don't know why somebody once gave me a metaphor. It's like, for some reason, it feels like you've got your foot on the accelerator, but at the same time, you've got your foot on the brake. (laughs) And you're like, why is it so hard for me to make progress on a goal that actually ticks the boxes for me? And here's the kind of the deepest insight around this. You're actually more committed to the status quo than you realize. Okay. Even though there's part of you that's got a hunger for what's there in the future, there's part of you that goes, look, however the status quo is for me at the moment, I'm getting something from that. And there's part of me that is reluctant to leave it. Mm-hmm. So here you're doing, you're doing one thing, but you're doing it twice. And the one thing is you're weighing up the prizes and punishments of the choice. So this is how I explain it in the book. The first thing you want to do is like, okay, you've come up with a worthy goal. You're super excited by it. You then thought experiment. You then go, imagine I didn't take this on. I walked, I, you know, walk up to the edge and then I walk away from the worthy goal. What are the prizes and punishments? What are the pros and cons of that decision? Well, the, the prizes are often pretty obvious. It's like you're not putting anything at risk. You're not trying out something new. You're not moving into a danger zone. You're not disrupting relationships. You're not disrupting the status quo. There's a way that uh, the short-term prizes are often about the non-disruption and the comfort and the familiarity. But then you go, but the punishment of me not taking this on is I just, I don't get any of that thing that I've imagined as my worthy goal. Mm -hmm. And then you're trying to weigh it up and go, well, what weighs more here? What's got greatest weight? And what you hope is punishments outweigh the prizes. But the reward, or rather the cost of you not taking this on, is more significant than the prize of embracing the status quo. Mm -hmm. Then you've got to do it again, this time imagining you are fully committed to the, the worthy goal. Like you just go all in on it, and you're like, okay, imagine I was really going for it. Step number one, what are the prizes of that? And here you get to really kind of taste what are the outcomes you get from mm-hmm. taking on this worthy goal. Let's imagine that you've, you're doing something like, I'm trying to double my business without being sucked into any of the minutiae. You're like, I'm richer. I'm starting to dress better. I'm surrounded <laughs> by beautiful women. My <laughs> net worth is 3X or 5X or 10X. You know, I've upgraded everything in my life. It's fantastic. Okay, so you've got all of that. But then against that, you've also got to weigh the risk of taking on a worthy goal. What's the Paparazzi, always. Paparazzi, <laughs> exactly. The divorce, that's ugly. But it's also, it's the disruption that you cause because you've got to say yes to some people and no to some people. You've got to change things. People are expecting you to do something and you're not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. So stuff happens. But again, you've got to weigh this up and go, well, are the prizes outweighing the punishments? Yeah. And too often, we just don't really look at what would it mean for me to really commit to this? And is the benefit I get from doing this worth the disruption that this will cause? 
Yeah. Because stuff's going to change. You can't add a worthy goal without stuff around you changing. Yeah. What's interesting, and I think sometimes one of the bits in there that we don't really surface and acknowledge as I'm thinking about some bits of my resistance or is just almost like embarrassment. Yeah. In terms of like, like maybe one of the reasons I don't call the accountant is because he's going to ask me some questions like, oh, did you do this? It's like, I don't remember. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, yeah. So what, what do you think is this number is going to look like this year? It's like, I don't know. Have not been tracking? You know, so right. it's like, yeah. there's a lot of embarrassment or humility Yeah. or talking to a financial planner is like, hey, so what are your goals? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. what's your deal? Are you a grown up? Like, <laughs> what's wrong with you? Yeah. Give some thought to this. This is irresponsible. So now, of course, professionals probably won't speak to you that way. Yeah. But sometimes that is what's in the mix and, but it's not surfaced is like this emotional stuff. I agree. Yeah. No, I think it's a really great insight. I mean, if we're playing with this idea, there's the perhaps embarrassment of the conversation with the accountant, but it's also like, okay, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to describe my process for talking to my accountant. I don't have a process. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have a shambolic rambling around collecting random bits of paper off the floor yeah. that I then give to the accountant and go, maybe some of the receipts are in here. So it's like, oh, this is embarrassing to explain to the accountant. It's also embarrassing to explain to my online business manager. You know what? It's better if I just keep it under the rug and I just manage this in my own barely adequate way rather mm-hmm. than hand it over and have that moment of, I'm not very good at this. Yeah. So, so often... We don't take on the worthy goal because we want to protect our ego and our status and that kind of facade that we're putting up that, I want to speak for myself, the facade that I've, I've actually got it together and I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas I know with some of the stuff, if, I, if I'm trying to delegate it, what it reveals is that I just wasn't very good at it in the first place. Oh, yeah. Whew, this is powerful stuff. And you yeah. know, what is funny when it comes to like the commit stage, I think most of us underthink about this. I agree. And either jump in. What comes to mind is I remember I was dating this girl and uh, someone suggested, it's like, hey, you want to do this half marathon? And I was like, oh, wow. Whew. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. That sounds fun. How far? <laughs> it sounds fun. It might yeah. be, it might be a good challenge. I like you. It'd be fun to run with you. It'd be a cool victory. I am, mm-hmm. I have gained some pounds and this might be a nice structured goal challenge. To, so, so I'm really kind of like yeah. weighing it. And so I asked my girlfriend at the time, was like, suggested maybe, maybe do a half marathon is asking folks to join in. So yeah, do, yeah what do you think? Would you want to do that? And she's like, sure. I was like, I was so funny. I was appalled. I was like, no, <laughs> sure, sure, just like that. Right. Sure, like, are you right. serious? Like, do you know what you're it's talking about? Point one miles. You know, what we're talking, talking about here: yeah. the training yeah. schedule, the sacrifice, yeah. and, and yeah. the things. And it's funny. She ended up dumping me, and we stayed in touch for a while. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was kind of fun to say, "Oh, so did you ever end up uh, doing that half marathon?" Oh no. Oh yeah. Well, we we did. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, no big deal. <laughs> right. Yeah, whatever consolation prize you can get, right? I'll take. So yeah, it's sort of like we can underthink the commit stage right. and either do it and then whoopsies, yeah. uh, then we're stuck in the middle, or we, we don't do it and it's like, oh, we, we're really missing out. As we're kind of talking about this, it's kind of moving into the re- New Year's resolution season. Mm-hmm. People are thinking about next year. They're thinking about what they want to do differently next year. And for lots of people, it's pretty similar to what they were going to try and do last year. 
They're like, no, you know what? This year, really, I am going to run a half marathon. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to be more present with my family. I'm going to watch less TV. I'm going to go for a promotion. I'm going to get better at whatever it might be. And there's a frustration and a sadness, really, that comes around every year where you're like, why didn't I make progress on that? Because this wasn't a trivial thing. This is actually something that matters to me and that I want to make some progress on. But for some reason, I just don't seem to be able to make traction with it, kind of make any any kind of real gains on it. And often what happens is we end up beating ourselves up going, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Am I you know, weak-willed? Or do I have no spine? What's going on here? And my take on it is it's, it's really not that you're weak-willed. It's just that you haven't got clear yet on what you need to say no to in the status quo so that you can say yes to in terms of this new goal. So if you're running, trying to go, I'm training for a half marathon. Well, what you imagine, of course, is that moment where you cross the finish line and you get the medal and you're like, the crowd goes wild and you break the tape and you're like, just run 20 kilometers, 13 miles. That's amazing. But it's like, what's the punishment of taking this on? Well, it means getting up regularly and getting out there and running in the rain and running in the snow and this and this and this. And then you might go, well, what's the prizes and punishments if I didn't do this? I mean, I see this marathon, a half marathon. What are the prizes of not doing it? Well, prizes are obvious. I get to eat whatever I want, drink whatever I want, sleep in, wear elasticated trousers. I mean, all, all, all of that stuff. But what's, what's the punishment of not taking this on? Putting on weight, getting a little soft, getting aerobically compromised, not having an adventure, being dumped by my girlfriend because I'm not training for the marathon <laughs> like she is, you know. So it's exploring that com- level of commitment where you actually go, you can answer the question, am I really up for this or am I kidding myself? Mm-hmm. Certainly. And then I guess, how do we make that determination? So you're looking at the prices and punishments on in both scenarios, and then, and then how do you render that verdict? Well, I think that's it. I mean, I, you weigh up the prices and punishments. You weigh up the prices and punishments of if I didn't do it, and you hope that the This is a bit of a kind of a a, a tricky mind thing, but you're kind of like, you want the punishments of not doing it. It's like a double negative, the punishments of not doing it to to win out. And then you weigh up doing it and you want the prizes of doing it to win out. And if the things balance like that, you're like, you know what? I think I'm up for this. Mm -hmm. And then you can move into that next piece, which is around, okay, you've got the worthy goal. You figured out that you're willing to commit to it. How do you now cross the threshold? And how do you now get going on this? Well, tell us, how do we? You know, crossing the threshold is language that comes from a model people may have heard of, the hero's journey. I mean, the hero's journey is like, you'll know the basic story. You know, the hero hears the call, heads down, fights the monster, defeats the monster, takes the prize and brings the prize back. And the hero's changed and the, and the, the village has changed. And it's the basis for Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and all of these classic fables. Mm-hmm. But one of the steps of the hero's journey that often gets overlooked is that the first time the hero hears the call, mm-hmm. the call to adventure, she resists the call. She goes, yeah, not me. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, maybe not. I'll do something else instead. And then the call persists and the hero crosses the threshold. So I think to cross the threshold you need to think about how you're going to make progress. Because if you're taking a worthy goal, something that's thrilling and important and daunting, it's not a straightforward journey. It's not like, you know, you type in the address into Google Maps and it, you know, 
It says oh, it's like 60 minute journey, 17 minutes if you detour via the coffee shop. It's actually more like you're standing on the on a hilltop. There's a misty valley in front of you. There's a mountaintop in the distance, which you think may be the mountaintop that you're heading for, but you don't entirely know how you're going to travel. Mm-hmm. So I think you want to be thinking about three things. The first is you want to be think, traveling in small steps. So it's not striding confidently forward in a single direction. It's feeling your way forward, but taking small steps as you go. So what I recommend is one of the ways of doing that is you conduct experiments, which is like, how do you do a little thing that doesn't risk too much where you can figure it out? So if you're running a half marathon, you're like, rather than me commit to a half marathon, what if I spend, what if I commit to a week of seeing what it's like going for a run for five minutes every day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's going to tell me a lot. It's going to tell me, like, this is ridiculous. There's no way I can run a half marathon. Mm-hmm. I skipped four of my five five-minute runs. Mm-hmm. Or you may go, you know what? I did that, and I feel okay, and I reckon I'm up for this adventure. So running, testing experiments is one part of crossing the threshold. Yeah. The second thing you want to be thinking about is who do you travel with? Because I think if you're doing a worthy goal, it's tricky to do it by yourself. So again, this half marathon is a great example because you're like, you know what, you could try it by yourself or you could say, all right, who do I need by my side to help me run with this? And in the book, I talk about four key archetypes that you can think about. A warrior archetype. This is a fierceness, willing to put your hand at your back and push you forward, create boundaries, be, you know, kind of take on the enemy. So it's, sometimes it's really helpful for that. You know, you can imagine half marathon, you're like that person who's like, I'm showing up at your door every day at 5.30, Pete, and we're going mm-hmm. for a run. I'm that person. Then there's the healer or sometimes the lover, they're called. And this is like, how do I get comfort? How do I get familiarity? How do I get a hug? <laughs> how do I get mm-hmm. softness? How do I get healing? So maybe there's something there who's like, maybe this is your massage therapist. They're like, you know mm-hmm. what, I'm going to make you feel better after doing this. Then there's the teacher or the magician. So this is maybe going, okay, how do you actually run a half marathon? How do you train for a half marathon? I need to learn that. So you might go online or you might find a running coach to kind of go, okay, this is where I'm getting that information from. And then the final archetypal role is that of the ruler or the visionary. This is where you kind of like hold the ambition. So maybe this is someone who's going, oh, look, dude, we're not just running a half marathon. This is the start of something. This is you getting into endurance racing. You're going to be, you know, in two years' time, we're going to do the 100-mile Death Valley race together. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's holding that space for you. Now, just making all this stuff up, but the key takeaway is you want people around you because if you're taking on a worthy goal by yourself, it's sometimes it's just hard. And if you're all mm-hmm. by yourself, it's too easy to collude with yourself and opt out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. I, I'm all about accountability and the power that wields. And, and I dig it how, as we talk about the hero's journey, I think it's always like, oh, Yoda or Gandalf. It's like, well, it's more than one shape of that. Just like there a is. wise mentor, you know, yeah. it could, so I like those archetypes, kind of different roles there. Yeah. I mean, the wise, you know, the Gandalf or the, the yoga, they're the teacher or the magician archetype, and they can play their role for sure. But that's not the only person on the band. Right. You know, it's like when Harry Potter's taking on Voldemort, he doesn't just have Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. He has a band of people around him who help conquer the, 
a baddie. Certainly. I'm sorry if that's a spoiler for anybody. No. But <laughs> Harry Potter kills Voldemort in the end. Spoiler alert. <laughs> or is that, when people spoil things for me, I say, or was he just messing with me? Oh, was he just messing with me? There we go. He's yeah, a jokester, maybe. Michael. I mean, he could. <laughs> uh, exactly. I'm the trickster. Yeah, exactly. Uh, cool. So then let's hear about, let's say we're in the middle of things. Mm. And yeah, motivation just sort of dips yep. along the journey. What do you do? Well, I'm thinking there are three things that you might look to that could help because motivation will dip. It's not if, it's when. It, it, motivation will dip. So if you're lucky, you've got people around you where you can go, man, this sucks. <laughs> and they go, it does suck. How do we help you get back on the path? So that's part of why you want to have your people with you. Secondly, you might be going, you know what? This sucks. Motivation has dipped. But you know what? It was only an experiment. So now I'm like, how do I design the next thing? That might be get my motivation up and get me running around that. But the third thing you want to be thinking about is how do you get back to the best version of yourself? And this is a powerful piece of kind of reorientation to the best version of who you are. And in the book, I talk about this exercise called This Not That. And I love writing about this because I first wrote about this 12 years ago in this book, Do More Great Work. And I feel like I'm kind of doing a Disney thing. I'm taking it out of the vault and reintroducing this exercise because it's a powerful one. And it says this, look, imagine a time or times when you were at your best. You, know, you were really kind of rocking it. You felt on top of the world. You felt like this is the, one of the best versions of who I can be. And you want to start thinking about words or phrases that are associated with that so you can remember what that looks like. But against each one of those words or phrases, you want to have a corresponding word, a pairing word or phrase that is you when you're slightly off your game, when you're 15% down, when you've lost some of that essential motivation. And this is the this, not that pairing. And what I found is that when you go do this work and you develop this tool for yourself, it's your chance to get back to the very best version of who you are. So as an mm -hmm. example, one of my pairs is stepping forward, not stepping back. And what I notice is that when I lose motivation or I get a bit disheartened or I get just battered around a little bit by the process of taking a worthy goal, I start being on my back foot. I start being less courageous. I start stepping back. And if I can notice that in me, I can then go, well, what's it like when I'm at my best? Well, when I'm at my best, I have a fearlessness where I step forward and I'm kind of undaunted by setbacks. So I'm like, how do I get back? To that version of myself and just remembering that I, I can be that person, that I've been that person in the past and I can be that person again is one of the ways to kind of regenerate motivation for the worthy goal that you've set yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh, I dig it. Well, Michael, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I think at the heart of this book, is a couple of things. I mean, we talked a lot about the goal process and kind of how do you set it, but what I hope is a deeper resonance, which is I want people to be ambitious for themselves and for the world. And I think sometimes with the grind of the everyday work, we lose some of that sense of ambition. And what I hope is this is not just about setting better goals, but it's about getting the unlocking the greatness that you have by taking on hard things and also making your world and all of our world a little bit better by doing a goal that is thrilling and important and daunting. Well, thank you. And now could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah. My favorite quote is 
and one that that resonates with me at the moment and is part of the the driving of the book. It comes from a Rilke poem called The Man Watching, and it's the last two lines of the poem. And it says, look, his goal is not to win. His goal is to be, and this is the quote, be defeated by ever greater things. And I love that because Mm. it says, look, stop trying to win. Because if you're only playing games that you can win, that's going to keep you playing small. Play games that give you a chance to be defeated by ever greater things because that's when you unlock your greatness. Mm, Lovely. And how about a favorite study or experiment or piece of research? So one of the favorite studies that I've got is a way of reminding us how malleable we are. It's a wine tasting study. So that's already a good start because it involves (laughs) wine. And basically they had people tasting four glasses of wine and music playing in the background as they're tasting this wine and they move through these red wines and asking them what they tasted. And the first glass of wine, people were like, ah, it's kind of light and playful and summery and joyful and moved through them. And then the final glass of wine, you know, it's like, this is a bit kind of dark and serious and, and tempestuous and <laughs> solid. And what they found in the study was that actually glass one and glass four were the same wine, mm-hmm. but they were playing different music in the background. In the first glass of wine, they were playing Vivaldi's Spring, so it's kind of like playful music. And by the final glass of wine, they were playing some Wagner, so deep, operatic, serious music. And why I love that study is it just reminds me that I am constantly influenced by my context, by the environment around me. Yeah. So whilst we think of ourselves as these kind of rational, contained individual creatures, what I realize is like if I want myself to be at my best and if I want people around me to be at my best, constantly thinking about the context and the setting and the environment can make all the difference. Mm, That's beautiful. And these were full-blown masters, sommeliers, right? You know, I'm not sure about that. I think it might have been just, my memory is that it's just kind of uh-huh. like ordinary wine tasters, but the fact that the tasting was so radically different yeah. just because of the music being different behind them, that to me was was magical. Well, I'm amazed at how, I'm thinking about audiophiles looking at assessing different microphones, for example, because yeah. I've been through this podcasting, right? <laughs> exactly. And so it's like, hmm, so my moderately priced setup is sounds just as good as your five times as expensive yeah. setup when it's a blind test. <laughs> but when it's not, <laughs> it's well, like, oh exactly. boy, you can really hear this is so much richer. Exactly. So much richer with that deep, deep preamp. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, I bet. That's right. Well, it comes into that kind of sunk costing, which is like, I need to believe this. Uh-huh. And in some ways, it, it all connects to this kind of the placebo effect, mm-hmm. which is like, if you believe it, it likely is. And then I love Seth Godin's take on the placebo because, you know, part of it's like, how do you get conned by the placebo? He's like, no, no, the placebo is magic because if you can go, look, I'm going to believe this, even though I know I'm believing that this is a placebo. So even though you're in on the trick, Mm -hmm. it can still have exactly the same impact on your body. Yes. It's one of my favorite studies. (laughs) That to me is sheer magic because it just goes to show that there is this truth to it. Like if you believe it, then you'll see it. Mm-hmm. Oh, beautiful. And how about a favorite book? Well, I've just read a, a book. It's called Virgil Wonder. It's a fiction book. It's by an American author whose name is, he says, Googling desperately, 
<laughs> His name is Leif, L-E-I-F, Enger, E-N-G-E-R. Mm-hmm. Now, I read a lot of nonfiction because, you know, I'm a nonfiction writer, so I read a lot of business and science and psychology and all of that. But I have a master's degree in literature, and my wife has a PhD in English studies as well. So we read a lot of uh, fiction as well. And she introduced me to this book, and it is the most beautifully written book that I have read in ages. He has such a turn of phrase. So Virgil Wander is the lead character. He's living in a Midwestern town by a lake, and he has a car crash in the very first chapter, so there's no spoiler alert. And it's a story of him coming back to himself as he figures out who he is. And it's just beautiful. It is written with such grace and with such style. That would be my recommendation of my favorite book I've read in the last month or two. And how about a favorite tool? Something you used to be awesome at your job. I'm a writer. <laughs> so often my favorite tools are around what do I write with? And I've had phases in my life where I've had, you know, a thousand pens scattered across <laughs> the universe. So I have two desks in my office, this one I'm sitting at with you and then a, a writing desk just over there. And on each of my desks, I have two pens from Baron Fig. So Baron Fig create these beautiful ballpoint pens that just feel beautifully weighted and they sit in a beautiful little pen holder. So the one that I'm holding up to the screen showing you, Peter, is made out of copper. Mm-hmm. I've got another one that's uh, in pale blue over on my other desk. And you know what? A beautiful pen brings me joy. And that is the tool I would nominate. Mm -hmm. And a favorite habit? Well, my favorite habit, I'm not sure it's it's not particularly a good habit, but, or maybe it is. It's like making an espresso for me and a latte for my wife in the morning. Because I grew up in Australia. And one of the things that's magical about Australia is in the 50s and 60s, we had a lot of Italian and Greek immigrants come to Australia. And what that means is Australia is a coffee culture. It's just built on a place where every coffee is espresso-based and delicious. So when I moved to America and lived in America for a while, and I came across the light brown bilge water that Americans drink Mm. as coffee, I was like, what? (laughs) This is a disgrace. What is this? So we have a not a particularly fancy espresso machine, but we have an espresso machine. We have a place around the corner that roasts coffee beans. And that moment of getting up in the morning and making a coffee and seeing crema on the top and then making a coffee for my wife and bringing that to her in bed, that is a a ritual, maybe more than a habit, that feels an important way to start the day for me. Mm -hmm. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often? Yeah. In the pre-days when I used to run (laughs) workshops and training and the like, and I get people to practice coaching skills in particular in pairs, at the end of every round of practice, I got people to look the other person in the eye and say, you're awesome and you're doing great. And I do this four or five times in in a session. And the first time people did that, it's really awkward. I was embarrassed and like, oh, I don't know how to do it. But by the end of it, they were like, there's this kind of expression of, appreciation within this pair of people that was pretty cool Mm -hmm. and i added it as my standard signature on my emails so every email you get from me says you're awesome and you're doing great and i would say two or three times a week i get somebody writing back to me going thank you for that i really needed to hear that right now so 
It's a very simple phrase. My mum hates it because it's not grammatically correct. And she's like, Michael, you're a Rhodes Scholar. What are you doing? Why can't you even say this properly? I'm like, because it has a resonance with people. So I think the phrase, you're awesome and you're doing great, seems to have people feel like they are heard and seen. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I would point them to the website mbs.works. And if you're kind of particularly keen on learning more about the new book, howtobegin.com. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Uh, yeah. I would look at the work you're doing right now and be going, well, the, the obvious one is to say, how do I find a worthy goal? But that feels too glib. So I think what I really ask people to do is say, what do you need to stop doing so that you might create some space for something like a worthy goal to appear. Michael, this has been a treat. Thank you. I wish you much luck and success in pursuing your worthy goals. Thank you. Pete, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me back. I was really inspired by the quote that really inspires Michael and that notion that you want to be defeated by ever greater things instead of just keep winning. Because when you just keep winning, you're probably playing a lot smaller than you could be. When you're defeated by ever greater things, it really means you're growing and it reframes the loss. It's like, whoa, I lost. Yeah, that's true. But before I was being defeated by this way smaller thing. This time it took this huge thing to defeat me. Way ever greater. Boy, I'm growing. That's cool. You can actually find a celebration from a defeat, which feels pretty cool. Again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links as we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP727. Hope to catch you next time. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.